so tonight we're going to kind of look at this. We're kind of going to think about this as we continue our time in the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to be looking at this section. Uh, we're, I think it's 17, the verses 20. Um, and if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to open there. And David's got it up on the screen for us. So let's, uh, let's give attention to God's Word here. Jesus continues to preach and he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let's pray. God, um, man, we, we bring all sorts of stories into this room, all sorts of circumstances, and uh, we give thanks to you that, that your provision in our life is your sight. And you don't have eyes of condemnation over us, but you have eyes of delight because of Jesus. And so, Lord, I just pray that however we come, that you'd encourage us, that most of all, Lord, that you would make your son Jesus um, splendid, holy, beautiful, lovely in our sight and in our hearts. Holy Spirit, would you make this so? Be at work in your word tonight that we may leave different, however small, than when we arrived. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So in the guys' Bible study, we're, we're kind of looking at uh, some different people in the Old Testament. And, and one of the refrains that we're learning as we look at this is like, there seems to be like two basic uh, ditches, if you will, that the human heart just sort of reflexively lands in, right? So like if we're thinking about the, the, a metaphor of life as like this path that we walk, uh, this journey, right, that we're on. Um, it, it seems like if, after you read all these stories over and over, you keep hearing the same types of instincts of the human heart. And on the one hand, it's when life gets hard, when hard things happen to us or we keep doing things that, that really frustrate us, we can become passive, right? We can just sort of throw our hands up and start eating ice cream. That's what I do. That's one thing I do. The other end, the other end of it, so you, life gets hard, you, you run into some things that are confusing and frustrating, and on the other side of the road is this idea of like white knuckled control, right? I'm either just going to like throw my hands up and say, you know, what the heck? Or I'm just going to like get on that bull and ride it for 10,000 seconds and win. Rarely do we find people who are more like the tortoise and the tortoise and the hare example. We're just faithfully plodding along one step in front of the other. Well, tonight, this text is pointing to that same reality, that same instinct in our hearts to sort of become passive or to become controlling about something. And it's specifically the law of God. So tonight's message, the title is Jesus and the Law. And, and he is weighing in on, on what it is that our hearts tend to do with the law as we fall off this ditch over and over and over again. And then he seeks to course correct. And we'll hit that at the end. So tonight, this is what I want us to kind of work ourselves through. First, that like when life, when life gets hard, one of our instincts 
uh, like I'm convinced from the Bible, that we become passive. And, and, and I think that one of the ways that we will approach God's law is we'll just be like, can we just burn the dang thing down? Right? Can we just like abandon ship on that? Can we just toss that out, get rid of it? If you look back at verse 17, and I'll just tell you what it says. It says, Jesus, I didn't come. Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law. But I came to fulfill it. I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. And right away, we're, we're, we get this sort of preview into the human heart. And, and sure enough, right? Jesus wouldn't rebuke us of something. He wouldn't say something that like isn't true if we weren't tempted to believe it to be true. Does that make sense? Like, you know, like you might tell someone like, like I would tell my kids, don't eat that ice cream or don't do that before dinner or whatever. Well, I wouldn't have to say that unless I've seen you do it 15 times, right? So it is with Jesus. He is, he's saying, I didn't come to abolish. And evidently that means that our hearts just kind of want to throw it out with the baby. Baby in the bathwater. Gosh, you just love my expressions. Um, the law and the prophets. What does he mean by that? So real quick, that's just a shorthand way of Jesus referring to all of his revelation. The entire story of the Bible until this point is summed up with these words. It's sort of a shorthand way of saying it. And see, there were people that were watching Jesus, and they were finally sighing a sigh of relief because Jesus was loving people uh, that no one else seemed to love. Let me add some color to this. This isn't necessarily in the Bible, but I think you can. It's it's true in a modern context, right? Based on the stories that were told about the people that he hung out with, like Jesus was spending time with overt racists. Jesus was spending time with people on the sex offenders list. Jesus was spending time grabbing coffee, hanging out with substance abusers. Jesus was hanging out with people who um, even some of us may cringe to be seen next to. And so there were some people who were like, finally, like a messenger of God who, who will let us live like we want. Right? You think about our culture And one of the messages that we hear is that we are free to do what we want, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone, right? You do you, and I'll do me. But I'm willing to bet that that you actually think that if we carry that out to its logical conclusion, it's a really shoddy way to live. And it's actually produced some bankrupt realities in our lives. Let me explain Think about this. It's a little bit hard to say, a little bit harder, harder things to maybe absorb. But this reality, I'll do, I'll do me, you do you, is honestly the reason that sexual assault happens. When people in power say, you know what, I'm just going to do what I want to do. You know, whatever. How else can the stain of chattel slavery be justified except through this worldview? I'm going to do what I'm going to do. You do your thing. All, all, whether it's a huge, tragic uh, source or, or, excuse me, um, representation of injustice or something small, right? Human trafficking, these big issues, they're products of a worldview that says you do you and I do me. And they're broken. And Jesus is coming to say that you think there's freedom in these things, but they really are only exhausting and they only actually harm people. You may have heard of Thomas Jefferson, one of our fathers, and 
uh, you may or may not know that he didn't think of himself as a Christian. He was surrounded by lots of Christians uh, for obvious reasons. When, um, when, when many people began this country, uh, he was surrounded by them. So he, he had a Bible. But uh, after his death, uh, something that was sort of attributed to him was called his Jefferson Bible. I don't know if you've heard this before, but he took a razor and he said, you know what, there's parts of this that I don't like, like miracles, stories of God's judgment against sin. You know, I, I don't want those things, but I, I'll keep in the ethics and I'll keep in the stories that sort of suit my preferences. Y'all, this, <laughs> this is not the view of Jesus toward his law. It is not to toss it. And to, and to live flippantly and, and, and just freely in such a way uh, that actually brings about destruction both in your life and your neighbor's life. I've mentioned this guy before, but the North African theologian Augustine said, right, way before Thomas Jefferson, obviously, 4th century, he says, if you believe what you like in the gospel and reject what you don't, it is not the gospel that you believe, but yourself. In verse 19, Jesus says, if we belittle the law, we essentially belittle ourselves in the kingdom. It's sort of a play on words. In other words, you can't pick and choose. You can't just toss this out. Despite our, info, like our instinct to sort of be like, oh man, I just want to be free. And we know this. I think we connect with this viscerally. We all know that we need some sort of authority in our life. We need someone helping us get there. Tonight, my kid was just like shoving her hand in flour to try to help me make these biscuits. She was not going to figure out how to make those. And I was getting annoyed that she kept throwing flour everywhere. Let me bring you a little bit closer to your neck of the woods. Tiny example. I know a number of you that have served or do serve as like campus tour guides. Can you imagine the reality that a prospective student and his or her family arrived on campus and said, hey, I think I want a tour. And the person says, well, we have a new agenda here. It's called uh, Explore at Your Leisure. Discovery see you on your own terms. We will encourage you along the way. Um, let us know if you need help. Friends, we, we need to know where the one card office is. We need to know where our dorm is. We need to know where classrooms are. Like, this is just basic stuff, and you follow this out, and it's very obvious that the role of outside authority is actually a good thing. It's actually a good thing. This sort of lopsided message to fall off the path of life into sort of this passive, rugged individualism is simply not the way. And those of us who don't fall prey to that, I'm definitely one of those people. Um, the other side, our next point, is that we sort of want to seek control of the law, right? We want, we want to just like figure it out, get some strength, um, just sort of stand on it, keep it all, obey it completely. In verse 20, Jesus says this. So the first one that we just talked about, this is not the way in which Jesus views his word. The second one isn't either. In verse 20, he says, unless your, he's talking to me and you at this point, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you can't make it in the kingdom. I don't know if that lands on you or not. And I, and I think if we think about who these people he's referring to are, it may hit a little bit harder. 
So some people in in the crowd of Jesus were particularly, you know, had a you know particularly progressive minded and just wanted to like get the get the law out of here, right? And, and other people were uh, were these like conservative law professors, these scribes and these Pharisees. They were like pumped when he got away from that first message. Hey, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to abolish it. And now that he they they start talking about hit them in verse twenty, like oh yes, yeah, yeah, we're the right ones. Yes, I knew it was us. What do you think, Joe? Um, but they're wrong. They're wrong as well. You see, with some 248 regulations, another 365 prohibitions to deal with, salvation was just kind of certainly for the professionals, right? I mean, it took someone with a law degree to understand everything that God required. And so came and so grew these groups of people called the scribes and the Pharisees. They kept it all. But how in the world, if they were capable of keeping it all, would Jesus say that the only way that we'll get in, into life with him, is if we do even more? How do we outmoral the moral police? These guys were the Navy SEALs, if you were, if you will, of the religious life. They fasted two times a week. I fasted like once last year. They, they tithe even down to their spices, right? Like... I'm going to give 10% of my cinnamon to the church. And my paprika, 10%, it's yours. Everything was tithed to the church. These guys were just, they, they did it all. It was assumed both in their company and even in ours today that if anyone was to make it, it was them. Jesus doesn't say burn the law down. He says keep it all better. In fact... Your rule following has to surpass these people. How is that possible? I hope you're asking. Because Pharisaic righteousness was skin deep. It was shallow, guys. It meant nothing. It was cold and mechanical. And it was all about checking the box. It was all about being in control. One of my professors says this, and it is a high-octane quote. I love it. He says, Pharisees' traditional interpretations of the law weakened its power. They do everything. It, they weaken its power to search the motives of people's hearts. Jesus lets the law out of the cage in which the Pharisees has imprisoned, allowing it to pounce on our secret thoughts and motives and tear to pieces our bland assumptions that we are able to keep it in our own strength. What is that? So we don't burn it down. We don't throw it out. And somehow or another, we're supposed to keep it more and deeper and purer than those that have clearly done the best job at this. Let me tell you a little bit of story about me. In high school, I grew up in the church and I went on different uh, conferences and missions trips and uh, this one in particular I think it was like my sophomore junior year and I went to a winter retreat and I came back and me and my buddy Ben uh, we were on what's called a camp high I don't know if you've grown up in church or you've been to a camp experience man and you're just like you're jazzed for Jesus right you're ready to roll and, and one of the things that was happening within our hearts um, at the time was like man we're just we're just gonna double down on this we're gonna knock this out of the park we're gonna win Everyone's going to love us. Life's going to be great. Maybe we'll get a girlfriend. Everything will be perfect. Um, 
So me and Ben were like, you know what? I tell you what, we're going to fast once a week. I know our 16-year-old bodies, 7-year-old bodies need as much calories as they can get, but we're going to fast once a week. You know what else we're going to do? We're not going to watch TV for a month. We didn't have smartphones, so we didn't have any of some of those distractions. So that wasn't as bad. So we're going to fast. We're, we're going we're gonna to fast from TV. And you know what else? Like, if I think about that, if I have that sexual thought about that, that girl that sits in front of me in class, I'm just going to call you that night and tell you about it. Because you know what? I just, I just got to tell you everything because we're going to fast and we're going to just, <clears throat> we're going to get this. And people around us may have thought, man, these guys are really, really intentional. Man, they were really serious about following God. But guys, if you were to peel one layer back, they would find a scholar that was desperate for approval by everyone. That was desperate for an identity that he could actually be in control of and present on command. They would find a scholar that was so insecure, he didn't know who he was in the face of other people. They would find a guy who would go through these seasons of just being a slump of guilt. I just couldn't even, I couldn't even receive grace. I was just used wreckage. I could not experience the smile of God in my life. And friends, if that's you tonight, that is not humility. That is pride. It was cold and mechanical. If you're not a Christian tonight, I want to encourage you with something. Smug, self-righteous Christians have it wrong. Trying to impress God and others about how devoted they are is not the gospel. That's more akin to other religions that claim to be Christian. This is not the way that Jesus has invited us. There's sort of a, there's not sort of, there is an unhelpful narrative out there about this sort of progression in discipleship that says you become a Christian and then you get involved in a small group and before you know it, you're like leading a small group and before you know it, you're like helping someone else lead a small group and then if you're lucky, you'll go on mission. If God calls you to be a missionary, listen to Him. But friends, this, this is not the paradigm that God presents in the gospel about His law. And so before I move on from this point, I want to encourage you with one thing. Before you read and hear the Bible and try to put it in your tool belt to then exact in your life or towards someone else, would you just receive it? Could you believe that Matthew 28 about the commission to make disciples in the earth would actually just be a gift to you? Like you're here because someone else did that? Instead of quickly putting it in your tool belt to sort of try to be about? Friends, our righteousness has to surpass the Pharisees. Not in volume, not in, not in fake check boxes that we commit ourselves to week in and week out, but in depth, but in sincerity and in love. So for those of us that like to just throw our hands up when the, when the going gets tough and we become passive and we shirk all responsibility in our lives, ugh, that is not the invitation that Jesus has for us. And others of us that are like, you know what, I'm just going to win. I'm going to beat this, and I'm going to figure this out, and I'm going to come out on top. Well, he has the highest rebuke for you. And we all love a third way, right? We all love a third way. So finally, I want us to consider this gospel path that Jesus presents in this text. And in verse 17, it's this. What's his relationship to the law? He completes it. 
He finishes it. Verse 17, you go back to the first verse. He didn't come to abolish, but to fulfill. Jesus doesn't do either of these things. He actually keeps it perfectly and completely. And in verse 18, we really see his heart for the law. He says, not an iota or a dot will pass until it's accomplished. If you happen to know anything about the Greek alphabet or you've been acquainted with like fraternity and sorority life, the letter iota is the smallest one in the alphabet. The point being that every square inch of it matters and every bit of it has been accomplished in him. He was perfectly devoted to his father. It wasn't a burden to him. He delighted to love the Lord and to love his neighbors. I heard it expressed this way, and I think it's really helpful. The story of Cinderella and her glass slipper. Do you remember all those people that were just like fiending for that slipper to fit? Like, man, if I can just cram my foot in it, especially those wicked sisters. Like, if, or, or like, if I can just make my foot grow. Um, hey, Nancy, d- does your foot fit? Like, everyone's like, does my foot fit? I want to marry this prince or king or whatever he was. You see, the foot has to fill up the slipper. And so the law has become a mold or a template. It demands that it be perfectly fitting. And it is only Jesus' foot, if you will. It is only Him as a person. He is the jigsaw puzzle piece that's missing in Scripture. He is the key that unlocks everything else. It's Him. It's Him. Friends, Jesus is the second Adam. He's the final Noah. He's the real Isaac. He's the greater Moses. He's the true Israel. He's the great David's greater son. Or as Sally Lloyd-Jones puts it, every story in the Bible whispers His name. He fills it perfectly. And then with His body, He continues to fulfill it. Right? The story that we've sung over and over tonight, the holiness that it requires, right? This... This, this complete devotion that it requires, he, he bears the penalty for all of us who haven't kept it. All sacrifices, all throughout the Old Testament, point to Him. Everything. All of it. And even now, He's fulfilling His law in our hearts. In our hearts. If you knew this was true, what would happen within you? And I assume many of you do. If you know that someone has loved you in such a way, what would be your response? See, I think a lot of us think and believe wholeheartedly that Jesus died for us. But have you ever thought and been reminded that he lived for you? Like like he was perfect for you? So here's like a good parental paradigm that we're all used to hearing. Like, try your best and there's grace for you when you fail right? That's not the gospel. The gospel is someone else has done their best for me and received no grace. So I give, I respond out of joy and love for the one that did this. Do you remember the beginning of the night when I was talking about you're, you're not so far gone that you can't be touched by his grace and you're never so good that you're not in the same need of it? Friends, that is what Jesus has done. Both forgiveness for breaking and perfection that supersedes any of our efforts. And the response is an invitation to be free, to be happy, to respond faithfully.
I didn't come to give you busy work, he says, because I knew you'd fail. I came to do it for you. And when you begin to believe that he's actually done that, the burden of your life will actually lift. If you're here tonight and you think about following Jesus and all you can think of is dread and harder, like grinding thoughts. Friends, you have not heard the tune of the gospel in your heart because it is life-giving, not suffocating. It, it, it removes burdens. It doesn't lay them down. I'll end with these illustrations. I remember in high school that every sports team on their game day, match day, ballet day, performance day, they dressed up, right? They wore their nice clothes. And everyone walking around would always see that. Like, oh, the tennis team's playing or whatever, right? They didn't wear those clothes to get on the team. They wore those clothes because they were on the team. They wore those clothes because they were proud to be on that team. They wore those clothes because they wanted other people to see who they're connected to. They wore those, team, those, those, those clothes because they were glad and thankful and excited to be a part of that group. I think about wedding days. I think about all the money and effort that the bridal party puts into looking their best. All, it takes months sometimes to plan these. For us, it took like a year and a half. Would not recommend. All of this energy, all these resources. Is it so that, that, that you hope that your future spouse will love you? No, it's the opposite. You want to put your best foot forward because you have their love. You have it. Tonight, the invitation is to put your big brother Jesus' clothes on. And for you that wear loose clothes, it's going to feel like spandex. And it's going to be like, man, this hits me in all the wrong places. And those of you that like tight clothes, it's going to feel like a triple XL. But I'm telling you, they're your clothes. Would you be willing to try them on? Would you be willing to just, for a moment, believe that He's done what He said He's done for you? So that you can joyfully and lightheartedly say, yeah, I'm on that team. Yeah, I got a game tonight. You want to come? This is what it means to be in the right relationship with the law. This is what it means to be that slow tortoise on the path next to Jesus. This is... What the Mandalorian would say, this is the way, this is the life, and our Christ is the truth. Amen. Jesus, we, uh, we, we want to respond in gratitude, um, but we confess that sometimes we, we misunderstand um, your expectations or your work for us on uh, work on our behalf. And Lord, I just pray that you convince us tonight yet again that you were not passive when we were stubborn and that you did not become anxiously in control when we ran from you, but that you were patient, that you were kind, that you chose to be a suffering servant, fulfilling everything that was asked of us so that we would delightfully say, I love you back. Holy Spirit, would you help us to write thank you notes to you this week? Convince us that life of gratitude before you and faithfulness and obedience is a gift and not a burden. Jesus, I pray that you are irresistible yet again. 
tonight. We ask this in your name. Amen.